from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. And we are coming to you live from across these great United States. I'm here in Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Sciences and the Director of the Seed Institute for Foundation and Ethics and Leadership. You can find us at mchs.edu and zetainstitute.com. Bud, you're usually out in Pittsburgh, uh, where you're the Director of the National Institute of Newman Studies, but we have you on the road today. Where are you at? (laughs) I'm in... uh uh, nowhere in Nebraska, Timberlake Camp Ranch in the middle of Nebraska, and I think I'm being attacked by a swallow. Oh, cool! So, like, I, don't know if I got too close to the nest, or you have hey, you have birds I'll actually at you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. No, that's... yeah, no, we're I'm camping. I'm camping with Rachel's family, and um, I guess it's near Central City, Nebraska. So, other than uh, feral birds <laughs> fighting you, what uh, what else have you been up to uh, out and about in, in rural Nebraska? Yeah, thirty to fifty feral birds swept in on me <laughs> in three to five minutes. But, uh, it's been a lot of a lot of fishing, uh, roasting of marshmallows. Nothing too exciting, but just you know, enjoying God's uh, God's great outdoors. And I have to say, you've been a man on the move because uh, right before this week, uh, you and I were both in New Orleans the weekend uh, before because we were at uh, the National, the Newman uh, Association of America's um, conference. We both got to give papers, got to meet uh, great people, got to give talks. So um, you're really putting th- the miles on those shoes there, bud. Yeah, August has been kind of crazy for me. I don't know about you, though. I really liked that. I really enjoyed being down in, um, in New Orleans. It's got a lot of history, a lot of Catholic history, I think. So that's, that's pretty cool. That's absolutely true. Um, I I got to go to uh, one of my checkups uh, this this weekend, and uh, when I got back from New Orleans, and I was really hoping from all the sweating I would have lost lots of weight. But I think for every pound you sweat off in New Orleans, you put a pound or two on from food. So it all worked out equally, pretty much. Oh, it's a very dangerous city, uh, food wise. So if you, yeah. If you like beignets or uh, what are some other delicatessens, we were really raving about the Boudin. Boudin, yep. Boudin. and uh, I had Boudin. to before you know any of the New Orleans people here. That's technically a Cajun dish that we were eating in New Orleans. Uh, what, what I'm thinking most Iowans don't realize is that in Louisiana, it's almost like um, an entire new continent of food. And even though it's one state, they all get very picky about where certain foods come from from within Louisiana. Yeah. Um, but, uh, one of the things that I tried for the first time in my life, so I'm not a big oysters guy, bud, you know, I'm usually like, let the East coast have oysters, but they have char grilled ones in new Orleans, which sounds like something my family would have come up with is like, well, we don't want to eat this relatively gelatinous food thing, but if you basically burn their shells with unquenchable fire, and put lots of Parmesan cheese in it, it then becomes something else entirely, and those things are fantastic. So anything to do with the ocean, anything that you can do with shrimp, um, we had our fill, and uh, like I said, got to hang out with wonderful people, so it was a good time. So if you char-grill it, it takes away some of the like sliminess, I guess. 
Um, absolutely. <laughs> it, it, and that sliminess is con- uh, transferred to your tongue when you burn it uh, because you eat it too fast. So, yeah, it's uh, the communication of idioms. Um, we're brought to you, as always, by Mercy College of Health Sciences. So, for instance, if you burn your tongue trying to char grill oysters in uh, the upper Midwest, which I wouldn't suggest, um, or if you get attacked by swallows while you're out and about, um, like Bud is currently doing, uh, Mercy College of Health Sciences is teaching the future of healthcare care uh, workers, um, nurses, rad techs, all these uh, different uh, fields that you can go into in order to help serve the community, mchs.edu. If I'm not mistaken, Bud, this is uh, finals week for the summer, so we get people sort of sunrise, sunset, right, getting ready to be done. A lot of people um, are completely done with their degrees in the summer and getting ready to shove off into the real world, and then we're anxiously awaiting a whole new group of people coming in fall. You and I kind of joke about the irony of, of getting hired at a health sciences college and not being extremely healthy. This time of year, like near finals exams, um, students are looking for different kinds of help, <laughs> sometimes spiritual support, sometimes great support. So I, I feel like you and I are better at that sort of thing than necessarily tracking caloric intake or yeah, that's true. blood pressure or whatever happens to be. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, people should know that, right, that we, uh, we have Mass every Tuesday at 1215 um, with uh, Iowa Catholic Radio's own uh, Father Andrew Winchittle. So you guys ever <laughs> down there at Tuesdays around noon, come on in and uh, be with us at Mass at Mercy College of Health Sciences. Well, as Bud alluded to, we're going to talk about um, what we talked about at the Newman Conference because John Henry Newman um, is becoming a saint this year, so I know we've had another show or two regarding him, but I don't think we can talk about him enough. So we'll bring up our topics. We'll be relating them to the general theme of the common good, and uh, we'll be listening in to see if Bud causes any more um, consternation or uh, inquisitiveness <laughs> from wild animals out there in Nebraska. And hopefully, if Bud needs help, we can all call. I was telling John this morning that uh, I would send John Leonetti out to find you, and he informed me not only would he not be a good tracker, but he is not um, the uh, hiking or uh, staying outside uh, overnight type. So it will not be John coming to save you, Bud. John's not an outdoorsman? No. Not at all. <laughs> so, this is the Uncommon Good. We'll be back right after these messages. But if people want to text in um, advice about what you should do uh, to help with being bit by swallows, um, if they want to ask us about the specificity of different New Orleans food geography, or if they actually have questions for the show, either this one or ones they'd like to leave for us. <coughs> to uh, deal with next time it's easy to do so all they need to do is text into the zip whip line 515-223-1150 that's 515-223-1150 the zip whip line open for your questions like i said if you want to leave one for next week it's easy to do hashtag ucg for the uncommon good Um, and if you leave questions maybe you can then come and visit us on wednesday when we are out at the fair um, or if you have questions about the fair and where we'll be, easy to ask. 515-223-1150, the zip whip line. We will be back with the Uncommon Good right after this. Fifty years ago, tuition and costs at Catholic elementary schools were mostly absorbed by parishes. Now, higher salaries for lay teachers and new technologies have greatly increased the cost for families. 
Hi, I'm Jean Wells at the Catholic Tuition Organization, and my job is to reduce tuition costs for families and award great tax credits to generous donors. Want to help? Please donate today at ctoiowa.org. Let's do this for the kids and their future. Thank you to Confluence Brewing Company for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Confluence Brewing Company, brewed locally and featuring regular, seasonal, and limited-release beers available in their tap room and at local stores, bars, and restaurants. Confluence has a beer garden for you, your family, and friends to enjoy. Confluence Brewing Company is located at 1235 Thomas Beck Road off the bike trail south of Grays Lake and online at confluencebrewing.com. Confluence Brewing Company, where good things come together, ingredients, ideas, and friends. Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Iowa Catholic Radio welcomes an evening with Father Ricardo, sponsored by Utfidum, December 7th, 7 p.m. in the Grand Ballroom at the Iowa Event Center. Learn more at iowacatholicradio.com. Utfidum, Latin for Keep the Faith, strives to develop Dallin Catholic High School students who will keep the faith through college. Utfidum does this by supporting students in forming deep personal relationships with Christ through small group ministry and faith mentoring. Learn more about an evening with Father John Ricardo, sponsored by Utfidum, Saturday, December 7th at iowacatholicradio.com. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr coming to you live on this wonderful Wednesday. Thank you for listening. As we were talking about at the opening of the show, uh, Bud and I had the great privilege to be down at the, Nas- the Newman Association of America conference down in New Orleans this last week. We both got to give papers, and maybe some of you will say this is lazy. Some of you will appreciate that we're being efficient. Bud and I just thought that there was neat enough stuff going on that we thought we would talk about it today on the show. So, but if anybody wants to call us lazy, we'll just throw out and ask them to write a paper on John Henry Newman as well. Isn't that right? Don't make us give you homework, listeners. We'll do it. (laughs) Not afraid. (laughs) Well, Bud, um, um, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. The conference was centered around Newman's writing on the idea of a university. And, uh, it's interesting, this was written over a century ago, but the, the work keeps coming up, and a lot of it has to do, and, and Bo, you and I have both been involved in higher education, with this question is, is what a college or a university is about. Um, is it about you know, just helping people find a job? Is there any sort of moral formation that goes with it? Um, you know, today, more and more schools think about like profit issues. So all these things came up at the conference. And... It starts to be interesting to think, too, right, because um, here we have someone who writes, you know, the the idea of the university, and obviously people have been racking their brains around this, trying to figure out how to uh, utilize this as a modern source for understanding what Catholic universities particularly will look like. And anybody who's been in the field long enough at some point will run into people talking about the work. I'm not acting like it's some sort of... Um, baseline constitution that everybody uses, but certainly it's something that has made the rounds. What starts to be interesting is the very year 
that John Henry Newman is going to be canonized as a saint, it makes a lot of sense that this focus um, gets brought up because, of course, universities and university life and the general worth of universities has not been uh, in question, has been more of a sort of topic uh, everybody's talking about in many years. So right around the time that we have the crisis of what is the worth of a university, what should they be, and particularly for Catholics, what should they look like, I think it's very fitting um, that this happens the year that John Henry Newman is going to be canonized as a saint. So um, I think that's another thing that's interesting, uh, but when we talk about this, is you talk to everyone, and John Henry Newman himself, soon to be, I need to get you know the practice to say St. John Henry Newman, yeah. um, you know, didn't believe that things were random chance, that things were providential. Do you think there's something providential about us turning our eyes again once more to asking what is the idea of the university precisely in this climate of how education looks like now? I think so. And if you if you dig deep into Newman's writings, you see this theme coming up over and over. Um, I, I borrowed the phrase from another author, but I think it's really, it, it breathes the spirit of what Newman was about. And that's abandonment to divine providence. There was a time in his life where he was traveling and he became very ill and almost died. And when he was spared through prayer, he really said to himself, like, I believe God still has a work for me to do. And so he writes this, this now famous hymn, Lead Kindly Light, um, saying, you know, God, even though I don't always understand what's going on around me, there's sometimes circumstances that are very difficult. I know that God is leading me. And part of, one of the most difficult parts of, of the spiritual life, but the most essential, is this abandonment to divine providence. Whatever God brings my way, there must be some purpose to it. And, Bo, I think you can see this with our colleges and universities today, because if, if you spend any time, like, talking to people who teach in these contexts, especially at Catholic schools, wouldn't you say, Bo, that there, there seems to be a certain level of anxiety, a kind of, like, we don't know what the future is going to bring, we're worried about... Um, um, not only like finances, but living up to what we're about. And I feel like what, what you're saying is true, that Newman, not only through the important things that he had to say about the idea of a university, but also through this trust and divine providence that this is, this is a really timely period to be reminded of those truths. I think there's a way in which, um, I don't want to say that we've had it too easy. That always sounds, um, there's people who've, struggle there's people who've worked very hard but there's also a way in which the presumption of people going to universities and that university will always be a constant growth field um that certainly was the reigning idea i would say at least when you and i were undergraduates i i suppose when the sort of coming awareness that maybe things might not be like they always were uh it depends right was that how it was in grad school was it when we got into the field who knows but i will say that you know, both of us, when we were going to undergrad and the, the first inkling of, hey, maybe we should go be professors, is everybody was like, yeah, man, do it. There's, <laughs> there's always going to be, you know, the, the big one that I heard, but I don't know, talking about old myths uh, in the late 90s is people were like, yeah, you know, all those professors that got jobs in the 70s, they're going to start retiring and they're just going to need professors. And I think back about, wow, I, I, I don't know if I should trust nearly anything some of these people told me if they could be so absolutely wrong about the very job market that they and I were both yeah. in. Um, but I will say that, yeah, you know, there's a lot of reasons why universities had prestige like they did. I mean, um, you know, people respect education, uh, even when people don't think it's for them or if there's sort of like a sort of class thing. 
there was this idea that, you know, that's an entry into the upper middle class. We heard that a lot from people. Um, so there's this idea that, yeah, if you got there, you, you had it made. If you got a degree, you're good to go. And now all of a sudden people radically cast the question in doubt. Is it worth the time, the effort, the money, and the debt to go to university and do the things that we say they do? And so it's like you said, the anxiety um, thought about in purely human terms uh, it, it can be very disheartening. I, I see a lot of colleagues, I think you do as well, that, you know, maybe got in under sort of ideal auspices, right? That this was, this was them doing a good thing. Their, their mom and their grandma and their dad and everybody, their Boy Scout master could be proud of them for, for doing this thing, being in the university, a service to the larger community. And now a very public discourse has been taking place. And especially if you're Catholic, there's a way in which you go, well, why, why would this thing that, you know, the, un- the universities came from the church and we have all these great saints who've spoken about education, the intellectual life. If all this is coming under scrutiny, what's the point? And we go back thinking about John Henry Newman and his life as well. Um, you know, I, we don't want to like go through his entire biography. I think at this point it's starting to get relatively well known that, um, you know, sort of an evangelical uh, in the English sense um, when he's young, becomes Anglican, becomes an Anglican priest, uh, has a great public discourse about what it would mean about the Anglican Church's relationship to the to the Catholic Church, becomes Catholic, and then, of course, you know, becomes a cardinal and becomes a saint. So that's everybody's sort of really quick line here. But if you know anything about it, that next level of depth uh, – John Henry Newman's life is racked with difficulties, uh, with uncertainty, with failed projects. And so we start to yep. think about the providential idea behind why is God allowing the scrutiny of our universities like he is. And I think what John Henry Newman would say is because he still has great things in mind for the university, but a university that needs to be purified of its worldly attachments and affections. Well, with the details that you bring up um, in Newman's life, I think a lot of this has overlap with the American Catholic experience. When when Newman was asked to, to serve as the University of Ireland, you know, that's a time period where the Irish still have certain um, penalties that are levied against them basically for being Catholic, right? And they're, they're under um, English rule. And so part of the question about whether or not they need a distinctly Catholic university is can we send our kids to the Queen's universities and expect for them to to still retain the faith? And so there's this whole argument about that. Like, do we basically provide chaplaincy at the state-run universities, or do we go and do our own thing? And I think, Bo, you were kind of hinting at this in your last comment, but the American Catholic experience, especially in relation to college life, has, has had to navigate those same waters and in some way started our own universities. Like these became sort of our great like symbols or evidence to the rest of the country that we were truly American. Like I'm thinking especially like Notre Dame University and the football team and all that's wrapped up with that. And now that um, really if you look at the demographics and, and the statistics, Catholics have truly entered like the middle class sphere and, and we have like a for the most part, like a very highly educated laity, like the conversation has almost shifted to what does it mean to 
basically participate in all of that? And are, are there parts of our Catholic identity that we might leave behind by emphasizing too much, like, just material success and prosperity? And so all these sort of topics are coming up. As, it also gets interesting, well. too, because um, of the... And, you know, it depends on what you mean by success. And is success always a bad marker in the church, right? You know, there, that's sort of its yeah. own argument is, you know, Mother Teresa says God didn't ask us to be successful. She wants us to be faithful. And then people go like, well, sure, but then also the apostles were successful, right? People followed the faith, blah, blah, blah. So not to get hung up into the sort of nomenclature of the whole thing. But it's absolutely the case that many Catholic colleges, which at some point in their history would have been hanging on by a thread or have been ghettoized or, you know, the, the, the various things that Catholic immigrants have faced coming into this country, by all measures are considered successful. There are extremely powerful, extremely rich, well-entrenched Catholic schools that even with the coming difficulties all universities are going to face, where people are thinking, I mean, depending on which numbers you hear, a third to um, closer to a half of uh, colleges are going to close in the next 10 to 15 years. Um, granted, that is mostly really small ones, but still the idea that that we're looking f- into a field um, that is going to be drastically changed. And certainly there are plenty of Catholic schools too well entrenched uh, to even be thought of as, as entering into um, those sort of uh, difficulties. But what starts to be interesting is part of that means that uh, a lot of their character isn't even necessarily all that Catholic anymore. I mean, and we don't have to pick on people, but you think, you know, people go to Georgetown on the East Coast because it's Georgetown. I don't think they necessarily go, like, I want to go to a Jesuit university first. And Notre Dame, which in many ways is kind of seen as, like you said, the the queen of American Catholic education, there are plenty of yeah. people there who aren't Catholic at all that go there. So now um, we're going into a different situation where, Again, asking these very Newman-esque questions, should we go figure out how to provide an intellectual life for Catholics in state schools? Our friend Dave Delio has been on the show before uh, in his work with the Newman idea. This precisely is something he begins to ask. And how do we go provide Catholic education for the vast majority of Catholics that don't even go to Catholic school? And I guess the point to bring up is... When you hear all the different papers we got to over the weekend, it goes to show you that God knew what he was doing, it seems, planning the canonization of John Henry Newman for now, because, like, for this time. Because there really are so many discussions that I'm not saying that John Henry Newman is the solution, but that many of the ways yeah. he talks about it brings to the forefront the arguments that we need to start to have. Well, but wouldn't you say that um, a great... A great idea when we, we start to begin to wrestle with these questions really goes back to this phrase, just spoiling or plundering the Egyptians, right? Right. And this is normally this is normally used in Christian thought to talk about the ways that Christians uh, borrow or like we don't reject what secular or pagan philosophers have to say, but we take the best sources out of there and we use them to and integrate them with what we believe about God. And when it comes to university life, for me, when we start to begin to think not about answers, but about how do we how do, how do we struggle and how do we move forward, it really comes back to plundering the Egyptians. I, I don't think we can say, like, oh, well, university life as it's lived today is all about um, success or making money, or, like, American uh, college life has moved to a place that's just completely foreign from what we're about as Catholics. No, I mean, Catholics have always been concerned 
about education and also I, I would say about providing like helping people to find means to live and support their family. So we don't want to reject it wholesale, but I think we are saying, and I think one theme we heard consistently throughout the, 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 the conference is Catholics go about this in a different and in a unique way. And the fact that we're Mercy College or we're a university named after Our Lady, that should mean something tangible when people look at the concrete like details of our community life. Agreed. And there's a way in which... Um, and th- this came up in your paper, and I suppose when we go to the when we get back from break, we can talk a little bit more specifically about what each of us talked about. Um, there was that question, right? Is like, does this only pertain to universities? And there's a way in which Newman's idea of a university very much is talking about if you have a university with like multiple schools, how do they all fit together? Blah 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 blah. But I think to your point that you made then, um, if we're willing to put the name Catholic, if we're willing to put the name mercy you know like denoting the order of the sisters of mercy if we're willing to put saints in our college's name even if it's to something that's a technical school or even if it's a health sciences school right where we don't have um you know like the 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 same sort of uh multiple fields of inquiry like a, a research one university would that we we're we're committing the idea that even if we were going to even when we train our most technical um, skills to our students that something different is happening because we believe all of that is ordered to a different reality um, than say uh, what a secular university would think they're doing. Um, it's not that they're completely different or they're misaligned somehow. I would say that most R1 universities have a general idea that you know they're doing this service for you know the public good or to like you know get people jobs and things like this. Um, yeah. But that we even ask at, at root of all of these things, um, why did God bring humans together in the type of communities that would have things like universities, colleges, health science schools, trade schools, in order for people to work together? And it has a lot to do with the common good. Well, and I think uh, this all applies even to how we think of our, our own lives as Catholics. Um, one thing that came up in a discussion I was having was that when we think about being Catholic and we say, how do we, how do we integrate our faith and our learning? It can't be something like, it's not like we're making this amazing cake and then just sprinkling sprinkles on top of it, and the sprinkles are like the Catholic faith. You know, so uh, for instance, at Mercy College, Bo, I didn't feel like we were approaching our teaching as like, well, you got all the important stuff in those other classes, and now we're going to give you, like, meaning or purpose, you know? Right. We wanted to ask questions about how do you do, how do, you do healthcare compassionately, and how do you take seriously what the Church believes about the human person? And that has all sorts of reverberations. I mean, a few months ago we had Brent Robbins on the show, and he was pointing out that with, um, even with uh, the dissection of human beings uh, and work on, on human cadavers so that you know, medical professionals could know fully about the human body. This hasn't been a monolithic practice throughout history. Like, there have been different ways of going about this. And so I feel like, I mean, obviously when when Catholic nurses and doctors are using instruments, it's not like they're going to be uniquely Catholic instruments. But there is a way that you do the art or the practice of medicine where faith is not something sprinkled on top of it, but it's part and parcel of the whole whole to the patients that you're caring for. I like the idea that, like, a Catholic surgeon has a Catholic scalpel, and it's, like, really ornate and bejeweled, and, like, you know, it's made in Italy and things like this, yeah. Yeah. Also, I think you you came up with the T-shirt that we need to make next. I'm 
looking at Deacon Tony so that he can, you know, remember this with me, but it needs to be Catholicism, colon, we ain't sprinkles for your cake. I think that's a really good, I think it's a really good way to distill the truth that we're trying to get across in this show. Well, we've talked about in Texas Catholicism on the show today, so we're kind of starting to mix like dietary and right. uh, sickness metaphors. We might want to keep those separate and distinct, yeah. but I know what you're getting at. <laughs> yeah, we're not the sprinkles. <laughs> we're the we're the bacteria that's been there for 2,000 years. <laughs> People are like, wow, uh, if you're just tuned in, like you're a trucker who just is driving on I-35, yeah. you're probably not completely sure what's going on here. Well, uh, like I said, but we're coming up to the break here pretty quick. Um, when we get back, we can talk specifically more about what you talked about in your paper and, and, and mine the same. But yes, it, about this this idea that the idea of a university is not simply what it does or what it gets done or the sort of uh, boxes that it checks off, um, but what it does for society, individuals, and then God all together. And I think that that's a way that if you're, you know, in this year that John Henry Newman is being, blessed John Henry Newman will be canonized, that that's something to keep in mind with all of his works. Um, John Henry Newman has a fantastic ability talking about anything from holiness to human epistemology to universities to whatever he talks about to not only speak about it in its sort of practicalities what are the practical things that we need to get done but how does this really um fit into the constitution of the human person how does society benefit or you know is detracted from this and then ultimately how this fits into god's plan into god's providence so when we get back Um, Like I said, we'll drill down more into that, specifically how Bud and I talked about it over the weekend. This is The Uncommon Good. Thank you for joining us on this Wednesday. We'll be back after these messages. But if people want to keep up with us, it's easy to do. All they have to do is check into our social media presence. The original gangster one is the website. Just go to iowacatholicradio.com. You can listen to us anywhere that you have streaming internet. You can sign up for things. You can register. You can see what's going on all at iowacatholicradio.com. You can also follow us on Facebook. Just type in Iowa Catholic Radio and friend us, and we will be Facebook friends with all of the wonderful things that come from being friends on Zuckerberg's Dear Network. And then finally, if you go to Twitter, we are at IA Catholic Radio, um, and that's another way that you can get involved uh, and follow what's going on. Um, one of the things you can do is start to follow us at the fair and uh, volunteer if you want to, for three-hour shifts at the fair. Um, If you want any more information on that, you can go to all of those social media websites, but the easiest one to do is call 515-223-1150 and talk to Maddie. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back right after this. When you donate to CTO, you're helping more and more families send their kids to Catholic school. That's great, because more and more families qualify for tuition assistance every year. Your generosity makes a huge difference for thousands of families and kids who really need help. Plus, your donation qualifies you for great tax credits. Want to help? Please donate at ctoiowa.org. Let's do this for the kids and their future. 
Thank you, Dental Associates, for underwriting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. With over 40 years' experience, Dental Associates is a group dental practice with the mission of promoting optimum health and well-being to all patients, providing preventative, restorative, and cosmetic dentistry for the entire family. Message underwritten by Dr. Kenton Gleichman, Dr. Steve Carbaca, Dr. Christine Mulcahy, and Dr. Ben Nagel. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Iowa Catholic Radio welcomes an evening with Father Ricardo, sponsored by Utfidum, December 7th, 7 p.m. in the Grand Ballroom at the Iowa Event Center. Learn more at iowacatholicradio.com. Utfidum, Latin for Keep the Faith, strives to develop Dowling Catholic High School students who will keep the faith through college. Utfidum does this by supporting students in forming deep personal relationships with Christ through small group ministry and faith mentoring. Learn more about an evening with Father John Ricardo, sponsored by Utfidum, Saturday, December 7th at iowacatholicradio.com. Thank you for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Hi, this is Tony Calumet. Would you consider a $30 a month donation? Your support keeps Iowa Catholic Radio on the air, connecting people to Christ. Join Iowa Catholic Radio for the Carathon Monday, August 26th. Support for programming of Catholic Women Now partially provided by the Des Moines Law Offices of Fred Haas. Over 30 years helping injured Iowans recover losses from accidents and work-related injuries. Fred, double D, Haas, double A, fredhaas.com. Back with the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr coming to you on this Wednesday here on Iowa Catholic Radio. Folks, it's good to hear from you. Uh, if you want to make sure to ask us any questions, be sure to do so. We've talked about that as well. Um, but, but it's good to hear from you out in the wilderness and knowing that you're still with us and safe and that none of the birds have attacked you, um, at least in any of the vital organs. Is that still the case over the break? Well, see, I think part of the problem is uh, cell phone reception is pretty spotty out here. So I feel like I can't physically move, like I'm kind of chained to this table. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure in, the, in this barn there there is a nest because, and, so, and somehow the birds knew when we went to break because they they started Plan B. <laughs> well, <laughs> if we get through the next thirty minutes, you can immediately run. Just I think with birds, it's like most other animals: don't look them in, don't make eye contact. And, uh, no, I think that's right. I, I think I think they're just trying to intimidate me. I don't think they're actually going to grab a hold of my hair or anything. Yeah, sparrows are big talkers. Uh, <laughs> what, they're, are you getting pre- Are you getting pretty psyched for the Iowa State Fair? Uh, I yeah, feel like I always play up your your fair love, but well, and it's funny because like I'm you know I like fairs enough, but actually it's my wife. She loves fairs. She's all. Yeah. trying to figure out how to maximize not only time here at the Iowa State Fair, but also down in Kansas when she goes and visits her family. And she's like, I don't, I don't know if we have enough money to go as many times as we want to. And I'm like, how many times do we need to go? <laughs> um, so what I've heard is, no no offense to the Iowa State Fair, I heard the Minnesota one is crazy. Uh, and people were talking about, like, how many people there were. But, you know, we were down in New Orleans, nowhere near Mardi Gras. I think it was, like, Satchmo Fest, so it was something with, to do with Louis Armstrong. And, uh, folks, all I can tell you is Bourbon Street is absolutely just always nuts with people. And if you're claustrophobic, just don't go there. There's all sorts of places to go in New Orleans with beautiful food and wonderful people. Um, But Bourbon Street, like, everybody just so obviously thinks they have to go there, and it goes kind of crazy. Well, not to diss the state that I live in now, but one black mark against Pennsylvania, no state fair. What? None? They they just don't don't have one. 
They're wow. one of the few states without a state fair. And the, my county doesn't have a fair, so. Is it just because, like, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia couldn't, like, decide who should have it or something? I'm going to have to unravel that history, but I I feel like that's a huge, huge oversight yeah. on the government's part. Uh, I, bl- I blame the government. I blame the, yes, the Pennsylvania government. By the way, um, this will not matter to anyone, but I'm going to say it anyway. <clears throat> Geography is always a weird thing about where things end up. So Yingling, famously up from where you're at in Pennsylvania, yeah. uh, nowhere in Iowa uh, that I know of. Kansas, Oklahoma, nowhere. But New Orleans has Yingling beer, so that's strange. Maybe it's just because of the Mississippi River? I don't know. Yeah, I've heard company policies, they don't sell west of the Mississippi. Well, well, you know what? Right back at you, Yingling. At any rate, <laughs> let's, get, let's get back at it. Um, so, Bud, uh, I'm sitting there watching you in a, in a, in a boardroom, um, just totally... It's like you were doing a, a Jimi Hendrix solo, just melting people's faces with your knowledge. Uh, what, what, in that moment when people were being apprised of the mysteries of the universe, what was it with John Henry Newman that you were really trying to get at to these people? Well, we talked about the prescience of Newman's essay that this, this piece written has become increasingly... Uh, I don't know if I'd say important, but talked about in different circles. And I think what I had to address is something that a lot of colleges are wrestling with today. And that is we have, in one community, we have these different fields of knowledge that are being studied. So you can go to um, Iowa State and you can study economics or history or business or nursing. You corn. Know, the whole swath. I think there's a corn, corn department at Iowa State. Agriculture. Yes. And uh, in Newman was already seeing, so he addresses this topic. He says there are some places um, who who want to um, push theology or push the study of God out of the out of the university. Yeah, and um, I think that we've uh, experienced that ourselves uh, when we've had people um, in class yeah. <laughs> come up to us and they'd be we would be talking about this or the other, and they're like we. We were told that all of that's sort of, you know, silly or this, that, or the other. Where do you learn that? And you're like, Iowa State. And we're like, Iowa State. Like, even in Iowa, we have people haranguing students about having belief in God. I think you cut out there, bud. Are you back? Yeah. Okay. About that. Yeah, go ahead. So, I, so, so pushing, pushing theology out of the community, and like you're saying, because it's like, it's not, it's not seen as part of um, the integral study of the universe or whatnot. And Newman says, no, you can't do this because the university, by its very identity, claims to touch all of reality. So you're either saying, we don't believe there's a God, or, you know, if there is a God, it has to be a part of what the the university is about. But then the question becomes, if you have experts from all these different areas, why is it such a big deal that they all exist under the same roof? And what what Newman comes to say is that the problem is, if one, if one field of knowledge, if one kind of study thinks that it has a monopoly on knowledge, he says what happens is the perversion of the sciences. So each each field of study is its own science. Economics, for instance, is the, the science of wealth or how to earn and, and multiply wealth. And Newman says the problem, though, is, is that it, if that field says, well, we've got a corner on knowledge, it leads to this perversion because, for instance, like economics, according to the own dis- its own discipline, it can't say, for instance, what the purpose of human existence is. So you could, you could, you could come to this um, 
to this false conclusion that like life is only about making money, but we know on the basis of Revelation that that's not only not the case, but that there's there's serious sort of like temptations that can enter when you uh, when you completely focus your life in that direction. But you can move on down the line. In our own day, I think, Bo, we've seen more of the case of like scientism. We're really um, really well trained, um, knowledge uh, scientists think that like we can only know for certain what we know through um, through the study of the world, through the empirical sciences. And Newman wants to say the place of theology and is to push back against that, but it goes it goes deeper than that and that every field has to kind of come together to have this robust conversation where their own field is sharpened through an encounter with um, with people from other disciplines. Yeah, that leads into sort of what I was talking about in my uh, paper. Newman has this uh, very interesting um, metaphor that he gives for what a university looks like, and he he actually relates it to an empire. Um, I know that's not always popular in our day and age. Usually if you hear someone calling something an empire, it's negative. But Newman only just means it, and if you look at Rome, Rome itself, and this might surprise people too, Rome itself didn't have uh, the greatest literature on earth. Uh, its gods were mostly taken from other people. There's a way in which a lot of what we consider Roman culture is sort of a derivative mishmash from a lot of different people. But what Romans did is they provided the infrastructure, and they did this you know, a lot through their military, but also just their engineering, the aqueducts, the architecture, things that people think of. Um, they allowed for all these various nations underneath them to flourish because not any one single nation under them did. Now, I know this is idealized. I know some people will go, you know, Rome did that, did this. Obviously, uh, we Christians have a, a vested interest in not uh, rubber stamping everything Rome did, uh, thinking <laughs> about what they did with uh, he, the, the Jews and our Lord and Savior. But the idea in general, right, is when an empire does what it's supposed to do, it's not very self-aggrandizing. The point of the Roman Empire is not to really just uh, get, you know make a Roman product and then spread it everywhere. It's to say that there are basic things that the Romans did well, roads, transportation, infrastructure, that allows all of the different nations to flourish in their own national character. And this happens because now the nations don't spend time trying to conquer each other, overrun each other, and they're allowed to exist sort of in and of themselves and together, and even in sort of rivalry without it being destructive. And, and Newman says this is what a university should be. And his idea, of course, right, is the church or sort of religious um, truth should serve that role as the emperor of all of these things, but that all of the various sciences, um, if they are, live under this imperial intellect, he says, will have their ability to um, be proud of what they do, to, to study it to its fullest, to not really worry that like not everything clicks together immediately. Um, and this is the idea he had for a university. Uh, see how I put the title in there in that, bud. Um, but particularly what I was bringing it up for is because he has a chapter, the last one, in his idea of a university that talks about medical science, which, of course, this would uh, interest me, working at Mercy College of Health Sciences. He points out, right, that the, the, the problem with medical sciences is actually not anything negative. It's not that medical sciences are wrong in their understanding of the body. It's not that they um, get off on the wrong foot. Or He's not even accusing them necessarily of forgetting God or anything like this. Um, what he points out is the difficulty with the medical sciences is actually how powerful they are. 
They're powerful at predicting the reality of our bodily constitutions. They're very powerful at correcting problems. They don't do all of them, of course, but we all know people who, I mean, I, I know at least two children who were born with heart defects that have had heart surgeries and trans, uh, transplants, that they're alive at like five and nine years old, which just 20 years ago, both of them, it would be a death sentence what they have. Uh, I probably wouldn't have been around. My wife and my five kids probably would have died in childbirth. There's so much that medical science has done, it's really hard to to bring up what anything about medical science without sound like you're biting the hand that feeds you. But Newman points out it's not that medical science is wrong, it's its sheer power that makes what you were talking about earlier such a temptation. It's easy to think everything else in the university should bow to the power of medical science because of how much it's changed our life. And so Newman says... What we need when we have any powerful science, medical science, I think economics would be another one people would throw out. There's others, um, engineering probably. We need an adversary for those fields that's strong enough to, so to speak, push back and hold them in place um, so that they don't dominate all of the other sciences. And so Newman points out that the only worthy adversary um, is the church and religious truth. And the reason being, of course, is not only this imperial intellect business I was talking about earlier, um, but because the church has withstood 2,000 years of these attacks and, and even, you know, worse ones, even like write out lies, falsities, uh, um, calumnies, uh, you know, propaganda campaigns. You go down the line, the church has withstood them, and so she can be the proper adversary that pushes back against these powerful fields whose power is because of what they're truthfully doing and the truth they're telling in order to get a wider picture of what's going on with the sciences. And so um, we don't have to imagine that when we say that the university needs to be, you know, universal and have, you know, all of these different views and, and, and be of a whole, yeah. we don't have to have a silly notion that that means that they all need to be simpatico or very nice to each other or we we all need to be endlessly polite um i heard this echoed by many people what would be nice is if universities could just actually have fights about things uh yeah. it's in the modern university the different you know uh, fields of inquiry are so siloed um everybody just sort of pursues their own thing assumes everyone else is silly or dumb or there's one or two dominant ones that um, un, without being said, sort of rule the roost. And uh, Newman's idea here with the, the religious truth and the church being the adversary that can stand against these powerful fields of inquiry is maybe we could finally start having fights, discussions um, once more in the university. Well, Bo, when you were talking about uh, the field of medicine in relation to the church, um, you can see that here again. What Newman was talking about wasn't a world-rejecting philosophy, so he has all sorts of laudatory words for medicine and what it can accomplish. But I, I'm really intrigued by your idea that the church is the one adversary that might be able to stand up against medicine. And for me, it goes back to uh, novels like Brave New World or the movie Gattaca. You see, in, in the secular world, in arts and culture, you see all sorts of um, books and movies about like medicine going off the rails. And part of it relates to... so. Part of what medicine does is it makes the body whole. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, an outcome of that is the relieving of pain. And, of course, um, you know, again, at, at Catholic medical facilities, like providing compassionate care that helps people to, to work through pain, that's, uh, that's absolutely essential. 
But the perversion there, where it can where it can go off the rails, is to see pain and suffering as intrinsically like a terrible thing and something that must be eliminated at all costs. And this is where we start to we start to get into questions about what does it mean to be humans? What's our ultimate destiny? And you see in movies like Gattaca and books like Brave New World this kind of imagining. And I I think many Americans feel like we're on the cusp of this sort of thing where if we have the technology to to eliminate disease or to extend life indefinitely, we should do that all, at all costs. Um, but I don't see a lot of wisdom entering that conversation. It's just a matter of, like, if we can do it, we, sh- we should do it. And a lot of times the the philosophical assumptions that are undergirding that conversation are, are kind of unexamined. And Newman is, is, is saying the university in its ideal form can be a place where, like you say, we, 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 we truly wrestle with and, and argue about uh, whether those things are true. Well, that's what I think is interesting about what he said is because, like, what you're saying is absolutely true, and I think more and more people will admit this, right? Just because you can do something isn't a license to do it. Um, and especially when we start to think about the vast power um, that we're beginning to show in things like genetic engineering and things. I, I think people rightfully are finally waking up to say there might be untold consequences that we can't imagine but Newman's going yeah. even further than that and saying, when, even when medicine's right, um, it still makes a sophistical claim that whatever is true should be done. Now, that sounds kind of weird, I think, to some people because you're like, well, if something's true, how on earth can it not be the case that we should do whatever we said is true? And this is where he gets into, you know, it, it's a, maybe a more subtle point, but it's also just as necessary to what you were pointing out, is that truths happen in a hierarchy, there are subordinate and superior truths. And I know that this can sound like relativism, but it's not. Newman's making this point that there's plenty in our life that is true as far as it goes. And on one hand, we mean something like, well, in science especially, of all fields, we should be realizing that at some point, hopefully if everything's going well, we might disprove or at least disprove part of the current theories we have to make them more complete. It happens all the time. But he's even more saying that there might be something that a science sees as absolutely the case that is irrefutable in its field of knowledge, but that doesn't mean compared to a higher science that it still isn't something that should be done. So he makes the point about the difference between a soldier and a statesman, and he goes, look, a soldier might be able to say that in a particular situation, it's absolutely the case that you need to attack now, because if you attack now, you have these advantages, you have this probability of success, and we wait any longer, all of those vanish, etc., etc. But the statesman knows, right, that if you attack now, um, the ceasefire and the diplomacy that they've been working on will be undermined. And so these are two truths, right, that both are true insofar as they go, and the question now has to be, which truth is superior to the other? And since soldiering is for the, sta- the sake of the state, statescraft over- is superior, is more important to the subordinate act of soldiering. And so even though the truth of the soldier is not now invalidated, it's true insofar as it goes, but it must submit to the higher demands of the higher science, which is states- statesmanship, statescraft, however you put that. He goes, this is certainly the case in the university life, where it is irreducibly important to ask, what are each of the sciences done for the sake of? And so in medicine, it's true that there's so many things that we would do for the sake of the body, but if we believe that there's the soul, if we believe there's the material life, 
then there are th- uh, the immaterial life, excuse me, there are things that we will not do for the sake of something higher. And he gives the example of it's obviously the case that if a nun is a nurse serving um, in the middle of a plague, for instance, that the truth, according to medical science, is she must leave. Leave as fast as you can. Get out of there so that you don't get infected. But the truth of the spiritual life is is that she has made a vow of obedience. She's been given these directions. And she's made an obedience even of an oblation of her life to risk it in order to serve others. And so he goes, now you tell me which truth is superior and which one's subordinate and which one must be chosen. So this goes for in, in a myriad ways. Um, it's even the case that medical science, even when it's true that it, it says X, Y, or Z, it doesn't necessitate that it must be done that way. Yeah, Bo, to pose a really tough question right before the end of the show, <laughs> I could uh, I could see someone listening to especially what I was saying a few minutes ago and saying like, oh, yeah, you know, buddy-duddy Bud is at it again. And, of course, he's against, like, genetic engineering. Um, thinking back to something like the developments and heart surgery, uh, when, when these were first starting to be performed, as you pointed out to me in the past, it was pretty much a death sentence, right? Right. Uh, you, to go through a heart surgery, there was a very, very low possibility that you'd get through, and yet people did that, and doctors performed it, and the phrase that they would throw out is for the sake of science. So how, Bo, how do we develop the prudence with, like, uh, more and more people are saying, like, well, this kind of genetic engineering or some of these developments are driving to us, us to a place where we, we may even actually, like, look down on those who are infirm or handicapped in some way. But couldn't, like, someone saying, like, if you built a time machine and took us back half a century, wouldn't people be saying similar things about the developments that brought us to the very successful heart surgeries that we can perform today? Yeah, I would have to say in a very brief time that um, the the difference is uh, with a heart, people who are having heart surgeries 50 years ago or whatever, when it was still like a 100% death rate, um, not treating it was a 100% death rate and very quickly too, right? So there was the legitimate, you know, question of um, if you shaved off six months of your life in the hope that like you might be the lucky one or it might help a future science, that's one thing. And that's a tif- completely yeah. different order than like saying we're creating a world where in the future entire groups of people will be considered inferior, which is just an order of magnitude different and really illustrates this idea that that's why we must have a superior science like ethics dealing with one that deals with just the body, even when you have a powerful science that can deal with those truths. But this is the, unfortunately, we have to stop there. This is the, uh, the, the end of the show in that regard. Uh, may Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our families, in our city, our state, our country, the entire world, the galaxy. This is the Uncommon Good, and we'll be back uh, next week. But I know you're out there in the wilderness, but if you can conjure it to mind, if people want to follow us on air with our prayer life, what are some of the times they should keep in mind? Well, you guys in the studio, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know we um, we, we prayed the Angelus at 6 a.m., correct? Yes. And the rosary at 9.30 p.m. I'm forgetting the rosary time in the morning. Oh, Tony's going to help us. 5.30 in the morning. Yep. Okay, 5.30. Yeah, 5.30, 9.30, and 9.30 p.m. And, yeah, Angelus Daily at 6 a.m. And then um, we have all sorts of stuff that is happening. I will have to say that the most important, though, uh, just because everybody who lives in Des Moines knows how important it is, is that it's fair time. We will be 
next to the Ann and Bill Riley stage behind the administration building, basically where we've always been. Pick up a state fair bingo sheet to win an Iowa Catholic Radio prize pack. That's starting tomorrow all the way through the 18th. If you're around today, it's the uh, state fair parade. I think that starts at 6, right, Tony? 6.30. 6.30. So see us. Yeah, Capitol Grounds all the way through downtown. See us waving like madmen and women and have a good time there. We still really need volunteers for the State Fair. We have three-hour shifts. You get a free ticket. We get you there and back. It's a good time. Um, Call 515-223-1150 and talk to Maddie to get ideas about that. But, again, we really need that. Minstag's coming up. Feed him in Iowa Catholic Radio. All that stuff you can look at iowacatholicradio.com and also donate and uh, not only um, your prayers, but this is a ministry that we share together. So please uh, be uh, generous with your um, treasure as well. Bud, stay safe out there in the wilderness and God bless, friend. Yeah, thanks for patching me in. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. The Uncommon with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcasts. Just search for The Uncommon Good.